How you doing? You're with Cameron here on 2VM and the uh, June-July edition of the RM Williams Outback magazine is out now. We've been giving some copies away on the station all this week and here to talk about the uh, stories in the issue is the editor-in-chief of Outback magazine, Mark Muller. How are you going, Mark? Good, Cameron. How are you? I'm pretty good, pretty good. It's a little bit cold as uh, winter's setting, setting in, but what sort of issues uh, have you got for us with the Outback magazine? We've got the... The main cover story is on yep. the Australian wine industry. Yep. So, uh, everybody knows what's going on with COVID and there's this and there's that. And yep. we, um, we had a, you know, the, the main story on community leadership in the April-May issue, which mm-hmm. was uh, the right story at the right time. We decided to step back a little bit from uh, that sort of stuff with our, with our main story and focus on the wine industry, which, you know, whether you're, whether you're, you're into your wine or not, is a remarkable part of the agricultural sector. Yep. Um, you know, it uh, generates a lot of jobs, and uh, and there's wineries all through you know, southern West Australia, South Australia, Victoria, New South Wales, up into up into southern Queensland yep. as well. Um, we export about 801 million litres, yep. um, 2.9 billion dollars worth of worth of value. Uh, Consumption at three and a half billion dollars worth of value, about 494 million litres. The uh, the grape most grown in Australia is the Shiraz at about uh, 418,000 tonnes as of 2019. And then your small boutique wineries, your tiny little shows to you know, operations like Casella in the, uh, the end and the Griffith. You know, they, uh, they have a bottling line there that knocks yeah. out 36,000 bottles an hour and another one next to it's doing 24,000 bottles an hour. And they're you know, producing about 150 million bottles of wine a year. Million cases to more than fifty countries, so that gives you an idea of the the industrial scope of what's going on. And we also slipped up to um, to Queensland, or had you know, I should say one of our Queensland contributors uh, come locally to uh, to visit the Bundaberg Rum Museum, um, yep. which is uh, looks like you know a fairly a fairly beautiful and interesting place. Whether you're into whether again whether you're into rum or not, it's a, yep. a liquid flavour to the magazine. We haven't. Um, you know, I guess a bit close to home, Moree. We've got the photo essay on on Lightning Ridge. Yep. And just having a look at the, you know life in the ridge and what people are doing there and who's doing what. An interesting series of photographs, uh, just showing something of what life's like in Lightning Ridge. And then our our up close story, which is our news story, actually look at, at this notion of buoyancy in the bush because whilst uh, things are grim in a global scenario, we've actually had not too bad a time of it. Mm-hmm. In Australia, with you know rain falling in, in a lot of a lot of places, people putting crops in, um, and just that sense of, of resilience and points that comes through in the bush. And the, the, the latest Rado Bank Rural Confidence Survey showed one of the biggest upswings in the survey's 20-year history, um, with 57% of farmers surveyed in Queensland and New South Wales, respectively, expecting conditions to improve in the coming 12 months nationally. Yeah. 46% of farmers. So there's this underlying strength and resilience in the bush that uh, is always a part of our, our storylines mm-hmm. and that is reflected in that in that story. And you've also got a, an article about Australia's country music singer, uh, Joy McKean. She turns 90 this year. Yeah, Joy, just, you know, an amazing singer-songwriter who for decades now has has been championing the bush. She uh, is, of course, the widow of Slim Dusty. Yep. And uh, Slim and Joy spent... Basically, a lifetime crisscrossing Australia, telling Australian stories, singing the songs of the bush to people in the bush, um, yep. and 
he's a, a remarkable, uh, intelligent, lively, creative, mm. uh, dynamic Australian. Um, you know, yeah. Credit to the bush and, and, and life in general. And also, you've got some interesting developments with modern and humane dog trapping methods to catch the wild dogs. Yeah, I mean, dogs are, of course, a massive problem, and this is our, uh, our workplace uh, in, the, in, in the issue. Well, we spent time with a couple of dog trappers again in, um, in southern Queensland. Uh, you know, you're, everybody listening would know just how, how rough it is if you get a dog um, through a a mob of sheep and can't yep. catch them. You can't catch them. And some dogs are, are smarter and harder to catch than others. And so yep. we go out with a couple of people who, you know, and we use the term, you know, dog psychologists, which is a little bit tongue in cheek, but basically they're, you know, they're, they're working to, to outsmart the dogs. And you know, for the, you know, the humane notion of it, you know, they're using, you know, they're out thinking the dogs, they're trapping them, but these traps are not your sort of traps of old people might remember, you know. Rabbit traps and dog traps with their jaws and with teeth on the jaws and whatnot. These are, are soft traps that will trap a dog yeah. um, you know, with rubber guards around the, the, uh, the jaws. And, um, you know, if, if you prize it open, the dog would trot away without any drama, and that's the idea. They want to dispose of the dog humanely, but also know that you know, dogs create all sorts of drama as well, not just sheep, but cattle as well. Yeah. And you know, there was a bit of debate. There's a photograph in here of a, of a, of a dingo, of a wild dog. I shouldn't confuse the two things. Uh, dogs in southeast Queensland, the dogs they trap have about fifty-six to eighty-six percent dingo in them, um, yeah. and then the rest is, is wild dogs. So there's, you know, a dingo is a dingo, and a dog's a dog. And there's been interbreeding, and wild dogs cause a bit of drama. But anyway, there's this photograph of a, of a dog in a trap, and you're like, "Oh, should we run that?" And I was asked. And I said, "Well, yeah. Look at the dog. You know, it's it's not stressed. Its ears are pricked. Its tongue's out. It's, it's you know, standing up. It's alert. It's obviously not freaking out." Um, mm-hmm. And that just goes to show that uh, these traps that we spend time with, um, uh, Geordie Eustland and Darren Poynton, um, both who have been you know, dogging and trapping um, for their entire lives. Geordie, interestingly, um, from Scandinavia, started trapping animals um, you know, in the forests of uh, Scandinavia before coming to uh, Australia via South Africa, working as a specialist animal trapper and dog trapper. So it's just a, a, a yeah, I think it's an interesting yarn, a good yarn, talking about what these people do and how they have a great amount of respect for the dogs. These are very smart mm-hmm. animals, but also know that you know, there's, a, there's a lot of damage done, and so they work um, throughout the very hard indeed. To, to trap those dogs, yes. Yeah. Interesting. And you've also got a story about a very successful sheep operation on Braemar Station. Braemar Station in the uh, mid north of South Australia, just north of Burrow, that's the McBride family. Um, yep. McBride um, Pastoral Company, they have a have a string company. Interestingly, the, the McBrides and, and R.M. Williams intersect way back in the 1930s when R.M. was camped up um, in Adelaide Gap in the northern Flinders Ranges during the Great Depression. He'd gone up there because he couldn't, you know, couldn't make any money in Adelaide despite his, his skills and his work ethic. And so he went up and it was up in the Flinders Ranges where he invented the R.M. Williams boot. That's one piece of leather boot. Anyway, the story mm-hmm. goes that he was sitting in his camp near Adelaide Gap and um, two blokes came by in a, in a big black car um, and RM, you know, they pulled up and had a chat, as people do, and a cup of tea, and, and, and RM asked if there's any work going, and they said, no, so we don't have any work going, it's pretty tight for us as well, but, um, you know, thanks very much for your hospitality, and we'll remember, yeah. remember that, and indeed they did, they went on to um, 
both the great customers of RMs when uh, when he started up the the RM Williams Burton clothing business, and also supplied the fat. It used to put a layer of mutton fat between the uh, uh, the pieces of leather in the sole of the boot, which kept it flexible and soft. And, uh, and so that sort of goes on with the history of these two companies. Braemar Station uh, itself, as I say, in the mid-north of South Australia. They um, had an interesting time because they were shearing. They had a, um, a shearing in the, in the middle of COVID, so they couldn't have... Even, even their staff couldn't get into the shed. The, the shearing team came in. They were quarantined. Um, they worked the shed, and everybody else had to uh, had to stay away. So it was an interesting exercise to, uh, to get, get the clip off. And also an interesting exercise for our writer, Kristen Vindbach, and our photographer, Karen Waller, to, to get the story. Kristen had, had just finished yeah. doing a book on the McBrides, and so she was able to tap into that and then mm-hmm. extend the phone with using Karen's similarly uh, long-distance uh, telephoto lenses and drones and whatnot, and we put together a story. Yeah. It's been an interesting exercise these past couple of months. You know, we've all been uh, working from our various homes and yeah. tapping into uh, the freelance network that we have around Australia and have put together this magazine basically using cloud services, so you know, um, online cloud services, and uh, and, our, and our cohort of freelance writers. And, yep. uh, I'm not sure what you think, Cameron. I'll be interested to hear what the listeners think. You know, it looks to me like an Outback magazine, like we've, we're still traipsing around the countryside as we usually do. It's um, <laughs> uh, certainly an interesting time to continue to celebrate the stories of the bush. That's the thing to remember. I mean, life mm. does go on, and particularly when you've got the cyclical nature of agriculture, you know, crops have to go in, have to be shorn. You know, yeah. Markets need to need to operate. People need food. People need fibre. And that's a part of what we're engaged in telling and, of course, part of what your listeners are engaged in actually doing. And I thank everybody who's involved in these primary industries and ancillary industries for mm-hmm. keeping on, keeping on. It's a remarkable testimony to our strength as Australians. Yeah, well, sounds like an action-packed issue indeed. Thanks very much, uh, Mark Muller, for joining us this morning. And, uh, yeah, we've got the copies to give away. We'll uh, give them the cue to call a bit later on. And, uh, yeah, all the best for the next issue. Thanks very much, Gavin. Good luck.